Hello and welcome to Get Flushed, the sanitation podcast. My name's Pete. I've been working with Joy and the team at Service Corps this week. They've used the standard operating procedures I described in my last show in their blog. They've also provided a printable checklist that restroom operators can use when cleaning toilets. Well done Service Corps. It's always good to collaborate and share ideas for the wider benefit of the restroom community. I'll put a link to the blog and that checklist in the notes for today's episode. Last week I talked through the standard operating procedures I developed for cleaning and servicing portable toilets, but this week I want to think about quality of service and customer feedback, and I'll start by turning the clock back to the 1980s. It's 1985, Live Aid has been and gone, and I'm in my senior year at high school. On Saturdays I work for a large high street retailer in the UK. They invest a lot of time and effort into customer service and they're pioneering the use of customer feedback forms. Well, at least that's what they're telling staff. If you jump forward in time to 2021 and Google it, you'll find out that feedback forms were actually being used by restaurants as early as the 1960s. Anyway, back to the high street and 1985. There's a stack of cards by the cash register and staff have been given a script they're supposed to follow when they welcome customers, process their sale and pack their goods. When they hand over the change, because it's the 1980s, everyone's still using cash, the sales staff have to invite the customer to fill out a satisfaction card and drop it in a small post box as they leave the store. The manager tells us he uses the completed card to choose someone as the employee of the month, but I've never won that, so I don't know if it's true or not. It's now the 1990s. I've graduated from university with a degree and I've found myself a proper job. I'm working in the public sector and I've been chosen by my boss to be our organisation's representative on a regional quality network. Well, what really happened was that my boss was told to do it, but he's been on a leadership course and in the best traditions of management, he's delegated the role to me. And so I go along, I do the work and write reports and he puts his name on them. Anyway, the idea of the quality networks is to bring different managers from different sectors together to share their ideas and create new initiatives to improve the quality of service their organisations deliver to the end user. People from hospitals are working with people from schools, the local councils, fire service, policing, environmental health and the Inland Revenue Department. We have monthly meetings where different members share their ideas and we're all supposed to go away and copy or adapt them. I really enjoyed the quality networks. I met some really good people who had some great ideas about ways to improve customer service. And that's where my appetite for making things more efficient and effective and better for the end user really began. And so here we are nearly 30 years later and I'm still asking the same questions and pushing the same values. Those quality circles took place in a time before the internet was really a thing and before social media platforms had been invented. Up until then, public sector organisations did what they did because, well, they'd always done it that way. If people wanted to complain, they would write into the chief executive. More often than not, the secretary or the mailroom would file their letters in archive B1N. The more persistent complainers might write to the local paper. Their letter might get published, and if it was a quiet news week, one or two would even appear in a story. But being publicly funded, nobody really listened, and it wasn't as if we were going to lose a sale. By the time I joined the quality networks, they'd been going for four or five years. Improving service delivery across the public sector became really important and the departments that delivered the best service were recognised with national awards. 
Our boss was desperate for glory and he put stickers on all the telephones with a script we had to use when we answered the phone. The staff were supposed to say, Hello, planning office, this is Pete. How may I help? What actually happened was that people wouldn't answer the phones or they'd pick up and say, Hello, planning office, this is Say Your Name, what do you want? At first it was treated like a joke, but over time things started to change. Firstly, the organisation began to log complaints. Then they introduced feedback loops and a staff suggestion scheme that was designed to let workers share good ideas. From there, it started to publish standards that explained exactly what customers and users could expect. Things like, we'll answer your telephone call within three rings, or we will process your application within 10 working days. And from there, we began to ask customers what they wanted instead of telling them what they were going to get. Things like that are the norm today, but back then, it was a real paradigm shift. It's back to today, and I've been asking portable restroom operators if they ever ask their customers for feedback. Quite a few have said yes, and it seems like they actually do. But a lot have said no, and to be honest, that really doesn't surprise me. Why not? Well, I've been in too many dirty toilets, I've heard too many stories, and I've seen too many posts about filthy loos on social media. That's exactly why I started the show. Over the past few months, I've also asked a number of restroom owners and business development managers about the metrics they use to track organisational performance. Most typically, these focus on profit margins or yield. A few have talked about the return on investment and utilisation rates. None of them talked about customer satisfaction or retention. I can actually understand that. Restroom operators are really busy people and the industry is very task-led. You deliver to site, you service and you collect. Very few restroom owners and managers have the time to step back, ask the customers what they think or go out and inspect toilets on site. And I know that because I've set up my audit tool for other managers. They were really keen and enthusiastic but the tool was never used. In fact one manager told me she didn't use it because she never went into her toilets and at the same time she claimed that her team was the best one around. And honestly, if she didn't open the doors, how did she know? If portable restroom operators do ask their clients for feedback, the client isn't always the person who uses their toilet. The branch manager, procurement officer or admin assistant who books the toilet and processes the invoice for payment may never actually see your toilet, let alone use it. If you ask that client if they're satisfied with your service, all they can really report on is how quickly you answered the phone, how quickly you made the delivery and how promptly you picked it up at the end of the job. Yes, those things are important, but unless they actually use the restroom or at least visit the site and open the door, they won't be able to say whether the toilet was clean. I talk to a lot of restroom providers and not many gather end-user feedback in a structured and systematic way as part of their regular practice. A few operators do inspect toilets to assess their drivers, but it doesn't seem to happen on a regular, ongoing basis. Any restroom provider with an eye on profit and mindful of costs should be all over this, but it seems that's not always a priority. So what is the best way to gather feedback from the people who actually use your loo? Well, you can go to site, approach users as they leave the restroom and ask them what they think. Now that's time consuming, but it's really effective. I've seen it done and a company rolled out some luxury new trailers at an event. They approached users when they'd left the restroom and asked what they thought. It actually worked quite well, but if you think about it, hanging around outside toilets is actually a bit creepy. 
Now, lots of restroom operators do maintain a presence on social media. And while that's a really good way to market your brand, the power of social media also means that good news isn't news and bad news travels fast. A great example of that is the Porter Potties channel on YouTube. This guy films himself as he reviews portable toilets. He goes up, opens the door and tells you what he sees and smells. He's had hundreds of thousands of views and he's even been featured on Tosh.0. From what he posts, it doesn't appear that he's asked to do this by any PROs. He just does it because he can. It's great if you feature and you've kept your toilets clean, but it doesn't take much for a filthy loo to go viral. And if yours is one of those, your reputation will get flushed down the pan. I've reached out to the guy behind that channel by email and Twitter, and I'd love to have a chat with him for the show. If he's listening, I'd love him to get in touch. I've already mentioned that one of my first employers gathered feedback from customers using paper-based surveys. These days, there are plenty of online survey tools that allow you to gather feedback from users for little or no cost. Perhaps best known is SurveyMonkey, but there are literally dozens and dozens of platforms that will do the same thing. Many of those sites are really easy to use. You log in, select a template, and enter your questions. In just a few minutes, you create the survey that you can share by text message or email. Most of those platforms will let you know when a response has been received and let you view the results online or download them so you can print them off or sift through them in your own time. The two biggest challenges that you face when you set up a survey like that are one, designing the right questions and two, getting people to complete them. Writing survey questions is an art in itself. The best questions are simple and to the point and they use plain language. But at the same time, if you make them too simple and too plain, they'll be meaningless. The audience needs to understand exactly what they're being asked, with no room for confusion or misunderstanding. But if you make the questions too long or drawn out, people will just switch off. And of course, you still need to get the people who actually use the toilet to start and finish the survey. Response rates for surveys are generally low. In one of my previous jobs, we managed public consultation in a city with almost 400,000 residents we'd be lucky to get two or 300 replies. Statistically, you have a much better chance of getting people to respond to the survey if you have an established relationship with them. It stands to reason. Someone you supply is much more likely to care enough to respond than a complete stranger. And therein lies the problem. Most of the time, restroom operators have absolutely no idea who has used their toilet or when. Getting people to open a survey is one thing, getting them to finish it is another. Market research expert Servicate found that surveys with one, two or three questions had an 83% completion rate. That dropped to 65% with four to eight questions, 56% with nine to 14 questions and less than 41% when there were 15 questions or more. Now, despite my scepticism, it appears that there are some really effective ways to capture customer feedback from the end user. In next week's show, I'll be talking to Angelique Deneman from Airvote a relatively new company that's pioneering the use of QR codes to capture feedback from toilet users in real time. I really enjoyed talking to Angelique and I think you'll enjoy listening to some of the insights that she'll share next week. Before I end today's episode, I'd like to thank Ross Ambrose and the team at AAA PortaServe in High Springs, Florida for their donation towards the show. Ross is a regular correspondent and he often sends me feedback and ideas for the podcast. Ross, I really appreciate your support, but I do wish you'd start drinking tea or coffee so I can send you a Get Flush mug. Okay, that's all I want to cover this week. 
If you'd like to support the show, please visit our Patreon page. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash get flushed, where a small monthly donation will get you early access to each episode and bonus material that's not available anywhere else. And if you just want to listen in, that's fine. After all, the show is free. But please tell your family, friends, colleagues and strangers all about Get Flushed and get them to listen in. Thank you for your time. I've been Pete and you've been listening to Get Flushed, 